This is the Saturday Supplement. I'm Frank Lewis. Recorded on October the 16th. Now the deer mating season. Bull bellow roar of the red stag and the high-pitched whistle-like triple roar of the seeker buck. The luminous yellows, the light and dark browns, the deep reds of autumn leaves. Maple leaves on Ross Island and in Muckras stand out. Today in Sean Radley's Mill Street. Off cuts from the Dublin Spike to a 5,000-year-old axe head in the Mill Street Museum. Drishan's 600-year-old buildings, a place bought for £450 when it was valued at 8000 Green Gens with 11 all-weather and 3 indoor arenas, 1,500 permanent stables, as well as a cross-country trail. The Mill Street Museum and the Mill Street website, between them involve a core of a dozen volunteers, each on average spending a half-day a week of voluntary work. 91-year-old Eileen Buckley tells that Kilmeady Castle and estates were confiscated by Cromwellians in 1680, in 1688 by the Williamites, and were in McCarthy hands again in 1728. The stories and experiences of 50 years of Mill Street Community School. Sean Radley's photographing all of the comings and goings of life in Mill Street for the past 53 years. Developing and running the museum, holding with the website. At Tubbert Holy Well, there are walking sticks left behind by people who say they were cured here. Historian, singer, songwriter Jerry Doody. At the Tranquility Garden at the Boeing Cross by the River Blackwater. Your story about Mill Street or a seasonal story from your own place. Write Frank Lewis, Mangerton Road, Muckers Killarney. Email franklewismangerton at gmail.com. Text 083-300-3300 or phone 066-7123-666. And so, to begin, south of Mill Street near Drishan at Kilmeady Castle, built in the 1430s, talking with 91-year-old Eileen Buckley, a great-great-grandmother. Why were the stairs near the top of Kilmeady Castle broken by local farmers? They said the cattle were going up. Why? Well, at the time of the, the, time of the, the gadding in the gadfly, cattle would go anywhere to get away from the gadfly. And they'd go into the castle and the first thing they'd meet would be the stairs. The door was going straight in. When you get on, it is kind of natural progression to keep on climbing. People were forever coming and wanting to see the castle. And the yanks would come and all the rest of it. So they'd come to the kitchen window to me and I'd be getting the dinner. And uh, they'd say, can we go to Savitz House? By all means. So down they went anywhere one day. And they came back and they said, do you know there's one of your cows up there? <laughs> God, I said, no, I didn't know there was one of our cows up there. And down I went anyway. And so it happened. It was a yearling. She was after getting in below and she walked away up as far as the broken step. And there was even a bit beyond it, like going into a door. And she was gone beyond it in there. So we had to get help to get her down. Eileen, you're 91 years if I were to see you on the street, I would think you were maybe 60. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> you, you carry the years very well. You're still very lively, very active, very involved. You're broadcasting. And I am amazed that I am asked to do it, but I'm able to do it, Frank, because for one thing, I never did an exam in my life. I was kept at home from school when I was three months short of the, the intercert. I am dyslexic as well, and uh, I'm a very bad, poor, poor reader. I suppose God gives you help. You now have a great-grandchild who's driving a car. She's 17 and she's driving it legally. <laughs> to live on, to see that is wonderful. I am the last surviving founder member of Mill Street Community Council. 
the community council was started here and went in all over the country in 1977 and even though I did not want to become a member I was pushed in and I for election and I won by one vote and that changed the course of my life that was 45 years ago and, and, and I'm there yet and I went I left it a few times because I brought my we brought my mother-in-law home to mind her for a couple of years until she died then I was back on it again I'm there since Is there anything from your early life that you think if you were talking to your great-grandchildren today and were telling them about it they'd be surprised about? You'd be surprised Frank how your early life comes back when we were young we had no housekeeper. Our mother died when I was three, and I was the youngest of uh, seven. We never had a woman working in the house because you couldn't get a woman to work in the rough and tumble that we had, and men working in the in the uh, in the farm. And my father and I was reared by seven men because there was no woman in my life. No woman. You had no elder sister. I had a sister who was a year and a half older, but. She was pretty much the same as myself, but she she was a nun in Killarney. She died. She died. She was Sister Rupert in Killarney. Oh, Sister Rupert, I yeah. knew Sister Rupert very well. She was kind of different to me. I was the born yeah. tomboy, oh, yeah. and 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 riding the donkey and the horses for a girl to grow up. And that there, there was always a kind of a name. There was always a kind of a effort. You had to put effort into being up with them in doing what they do and sorting spuds at the pit I'd have to fill my bucket and have it filled as fast as them and binding corn or I would be piking corn when the sheep had come in and they'd be making the reek I should have the place cleared if the men came in with another load to be very bad if I hadn't the ground cleared and so you were the whole time trying to go do more than what you could mm. but I'll tell you it should be a secret but I'll tell it to you yeah. Of course, the joy of our lives was to be riding the donkey and riding the horses. And we loved it and we fell off with them and we, we, ne we never got badly hurt or anything. But what do you think that I do for my 90th birthday? I went up on a horse. <laughs> as good as the Queen, yeah? <laughs> Don't tell anyone, Frank. No, not a word. I did not. <laughs> I did. Looking I'd back over all the years... Was there some high, particular highlight that, that especially stands out? The big thing for me, the real change that came in my life was to marry Dan. That was a total change. Life was very, very difficult. And then I married Dan and, oh my God, I always say he was my teacher. He was the one who encouraged me because, you know, that time children were always put down. You were always told you were no good. I was hopeless in school because of my reading difficulties and difficulties at home. We never got help at our homework or anything like that. But And I'm not saying that looking for pity at all because this is the way it was. Yeah. Plenty more were the same. But then I married then and got a bit of security and I got money in my pocket. He left me keep the price of the eggs and the, when the pigs were sold. He'd give me the, the money and he'd say, put that in the bank, like, don't you know, no. I got to handle money for the first time in my life. And with that, or he would come, we were trying to build up our place. We had 11 cows and a horse, and the horse died in about six weeks after we were getting married. And that was like, you would lose your tractor now, like. Yeah. 
But anyway, we built a way and we worked together. And he would encourage me to come out and we'd plan something together. So I got my say in things. And that brought me on then to heights that I never expected. Yeah. What was the, the low point? What was overall those 90 years? The lowest point was low for a long time at home. Because it was so demanding? or Yeah, in my, in my young days. Yeah. Now, things that I won't go into now, but uh, it was very, very soul-destroying and it was uh, no place for a, for a young person to grow spiritually or psychologically or anything like that. You got no encouragement at all to be whatever the dad said was law. We weren't allowed to think or make any new suggestion or anything like that. You have been a total inspiration to everyone here in Mill Street. Why do you think two people like Magella and Daniel O'Donnell decided to stay in Ireland? One of the very first lady bus drivers in Ireland. The biggest St. Patrick's Day parade we ever had here in Mill Street took place that year. And there were not just one Grand Marshal, there were three Grand Marshals. There was Eilie, Daniel and Magella O'Donnell. You've been around all of his life. Mm. How, how did Sean Radley escape the women of Mill Street or Duhallow? Well, I suppose he couldn't divide himself out between them all. They were all looking for him. They were all hunting him. If he took one, should the rest of them be distraught? Sean wouldn't do that. You have a great wave in the hair. You have a spring in your step. What kept you going through the bad years? There were times when it was truly hopeless. A lot of cruelty in the home. Nearly crying for the first 23 years of my life. And yet when I'd go to town, I was the brightest thing there. You'd be ashamed to go into town with a long head in your Today, when I wake in the morning, I still feel that I have escaped. After what, all the 60, years, 65 I'm 66, years. 65 season. You wake up in the morning now. What's the first thing in your mind? And I'll say to God there in the morning, look, whatever I'll do today, I'll do it for you. And I start every day with the rosary. I'm ready for the day then. Whatever comes, and I'll say to God, like, make whatever fish you like of it, but this is the best I can do. Not only has she a song in her heart, but she also composes songs. Now the great rock water rises in this wild and rushy land, oh. and it grows, flows away down hill until it reaches your husband. It spreads out all the country as it flows along its way, and like the people of Schlieflukura, it'll brighten up your day. Now the people of Schlieflukura, they are brave and satisfied their work is long their days are long but they are satisfied they're easy going and humorous and always on the ball and the men live to be very old and the women don't die at all thanks Adi. the Saturday supplement on Radio Kerry brought to you by Virgin Media Ireland's best broadband visit virginmedia.ie it's playtime for rambling, for roving, for football or sporting. Sean Radley's Mill Street, now at O'Regan's Mills, to talk with Hannah Lee O'Connor, the founder of Mill Street.
community website. Hanalee, why did you start the Mill Street Community website? I'm originally from South Africa and at that time it was the early days of the internet and uh, you're always wondering about what happens at home and then I thought why not for the expats of Mill Street to take Mill Street to them because I'm sure that they will also wonder what's happening here and like to be keep up to date but then the internet was in its infancy at that time it was new to everyone and information was still very limited and I just thought that I could do that for them and also the other thing that I thought would be important is connecting people which has happened over the years where if you have a job to advertise the website is there for that if you have something to sell uh, or you have you lost your dog or anything there's no like charge that, for any of that there's is there? no charge at all it's a complete community service mm -hmm. and at the moment it's for the people by the people we actually do very little ourselves the information is coming into us on a daily basis sean what difference has the community website made in the past you'd always get the daily newspaper but this now is the first aspect that people check about for the news of the area and the overall news it's the Mill Street website the amount of lost animals that have been brought to, back to their owners mm. the amount of communication that has happened as Hannah Lee has just been saying there it really is for the people by the people and people have discovered over the years the most amazing links for example I discovered my fifth cousin Patrick W. O'Leary from Louisville and Kentucky through the website mm -hmm. when Patrick saw us mentioning a place called Adraval which is just outside Mill Street here straight away that was the light bulb that said that must be the area and he has been coming to Mill Street for the past 10 years now. Hannah yeah. how, how much time does this take every day, every week? It all depends what comes in. We could have days of nothing and other days it can be an hour or more. It varies because the technology is, makes it a lot easier, you know, editing photographs, copy and pasting, that's a lot of it. So it doesn't really take that much time. Is there something that strikes you as having made a particular impact? Uh, from the site. The Just biggest said. is connecting people. People abroad might be looking for genealogy searches where Michael Cashman once again did a massive input on that. It's, uh, it's but tremendous, that, yeah. But that, in other words, you have a lot of people getting on to you wondering, is my cousin, yes. my uncle, and my relation? And what religion? we do is we just post that into the comment section it goes into the guest book and people are connecting themselves yes. by now. Oh, so you don't actually exactly. undertake well, we the search? Yes. Michael did that in the beginning. Yeah. He put a lot of effort into that mm -hmm. and searching even grave out in the United States yes. and connecting people that way but at the moment I don't have the expertise and the knowledge on how to do that, he has mm -hmm. but he has put a, a, a base a framework in place where people actually are working off at the mm -hmm. moment can, can somebody enter something directly on the site or do they have to come through you? No, no, yes. they, they email it in and then we, yeah. we post exactly. it on their behalf, yeah. you know it's just, just to protect the website Indeed. and also ha people. Have you nearly had any particular frights as a result of? Well we do get strange things in at times, yes. <laughs> like, like what? I'd say maybe comments that's not appropriate. Yeah. John, the radio programme, I mean, this is accessible through the website and also accessible direct... This is uh, CorkMusicStation.com. It's an online radio station established ten years ago. And this isn't just Mill Street, it's... it's it's. 
people it's from all over worldwide. So you're all broadcasting from your own homes? Yes, indeed. Like, for example, George F. Langen is broadcasting from Dublin. Uh, Netan is broadcasting from Sweden. And your hours and programme? It's 24-7, the station itself. Yeah. The programme I do is known as Radio Treasures on a Tuesday night from 9.15 until 11.30. Then we, we also broadcast the archival programmes that Jimmy Reedy sends us. Jimmy has been broadcasting for up to 30 years and has a tremendous archive of programmes. We now share these again. Do you got a, a Radio Hall of Fame award? A number of years ago, it, it, it was a, quite a, a surprise. I, I think it's, it's, I'm just one of many that can see the great value of, well, of radio. Who was this awarded by, or what, what was involved in that? Well, it was a, a national award that people were recognised for their voluntary input into particularly community radio. Yeah. And this, uh, we just felt that we could see the potential of radio here. And I think Kennelly would also agree that Cork Music Station has now acquired so many loyal listeners over the years that uh, it has established itself as, a, as an important part of Mill Street life. How many people are involved altogether in, in, in the website? Yeah. Myself, Sean and Michael Cashman. Plus Three. lots of volunteers. Well, yeah. it's open to anyone. So most of the material comes from a variety of people. Be weekly or maybe a once-off. Things like, like the yeah. Mill Street Museum puts their items on, uh, the library, and then with the GA, they put up their match uh, details. Well, Ali, of course, the most important yes. is Ali Buckley's report, yes, and uh, that has got a huge following. But Ali writes about her, herself and her memoirs, and um, like incident that happens, maybe the weather, and it, re it sort of reminds her of her childhood yes. and what happened on the farm and how things were done, and she has a following from that, and she might have opinions about little things that happened around town, mm -hmm. but she mm -hmm. just never gets too personal. How different is the society here where you're now living have been living for the last 30 years and society in in your part of south africa what's the biggest positive about living here the people people are very warm are very friendly and very supportive of one another and of course they accepted me for who i am and for what i am have you a particular ambition for mill street community website Nothing further than what it has developed because it has grown into what I envisaged to be, as I said earlier, for the people, by the people. In the beginning, we had to look for information, go around flat cameras and recording things, interviewing people. But now the information is just coming directly to us. So I think the website will evolve the way the town evolves. And also, I, I feel, Henley, that people expect different things to be appearing and if they don't appear they're wondering where it is like for example unless the mill street parish newsletter appears at 10 o'clock on a saturday morning people wonder where it is because that's there for the week how, how unusual is this sean are you aware of other towns or other communities where the website has become such a, a central dynamic for the community some years ago, Hannah Lee, Michael and I had the great honour of being invited to Dublin for one of the award ceremonies at which uh, Mary Mo Callaghan was the MC. And 
I can recall that the one thing they did say about the military website is that it was so constantly updated. Not just maybe even on a daily basis, a number of times per day. For example, take Military Vintage Club. They have a constant updating of all their activities. That's just one. There are many, many other examples. I'd like people to know that it's there for everyone. So if they have, whether it's a sports event or something to sell or buy, it's there for them. It's open so that they can send it on in to us and it will be published. So the more people that participate, the more interesting the website would be. Hanalee, we're recording on the 16th of October, the World Rugby Championship. The day we're broadcasting will be the final it looks at this stage, South, South Africa. Africa versus New Zealand. How will you mark the event? On the edge of the seat. Good luck. Thank you. Mill Street Community Website. Handle the O'Connor. Thanks for indeed for talking to me. For Thank you. And sporting, for drinking black porter as fast as The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. For rambling, for roving, for the many sides of Mill Street, guided by Sean Radley. Your Mill Street, our seasonal story. Text 083 300 3300 or 4066 71 23666. We are now, well, we were now to be in Green Lens at the arena, which over the past 35 years has hosted a wide range of national and international equestrian competitions in its 11 all-weather and three indoor arenas and over 120 acres of cross-country track in Drishan, 1,500 permanent stables as well as Green Glens hosted the 1993 Eurovision Sound Contest World Boxing, Disney on Ice concerts, political conventions agricultural shows and horse shows Dance on Life, the story of salvation the Diocese of Kerry Millennium Pageant 2000 with a cast of a thousand was run in Clean Glens, developed and run by Noel C. Duggan and his family. I'm joined by T- uh, Thomas Duggan, Managing Director of Mill Street Equestrian Services. Thomas, the Green Glens in the name are not the Green Glens of Mill Street or Duhallow. The name Green Glens comes from the Green Glens of Antrim, the song, because that was Noel C.'s favourite, still is, his favourite song. The development of the cross-country track in 2014 opened up a, a whole new dimension. 2014 was the European Pony Championships. We would have been awarded those championships in the December prior, so that would be December 13. And we turned around and put in this cross-country course against all the odds, time-wise and weather-wise and everything else. So when you ask, is there something that stands out, is probably the first pony that went out on that track that day. But, I mean, they gave you the event before the track was actually developed. Yes, yeah. Unusual, was it not? It was, but I suppose we have a record for delivering. How Green Glens has changed the perception of Mill Street? It's probably the most complete equestrian centre in the British Isles, if not further. We've hosted European Championships. We would have had the Nations Cup in eventing on two occasions and again we'll have it now in the coming year. It has a a very, very long list of of accolades in terms of the the competitions that have been hosted there. It's 30 years since Eurovision in Mill Street. The entire thing from the community point of view, all the accommodation was based in Killarney, which was a a great addition. And and then the national pride that it engendered. How did Norsi succeed in getting it? It was in Malmo in Sweden. 
the year before and Linda Martin why me as she won and it's funny enough uh, on that night there was an old envelope um, an A4 envelope at the back of the fireplace or on the mantelpiece or whatever you say and uh, he penned out a note to RTE there and then and it was sent and that was the seed from which the Eurovision and Ministry grew but it was an amazing success to get it you know in a small place which was unprecedented from Eurovision point of view and from a, obviously from the point of view of all of their equipment and their background and their people certainly I remember Liam Miller who was the man in charge said at the time that the sane thing to do is to have it in Dublin but the right thing to do was to have it in Mill Street why did he say that why did he think that because um, you know rural Ireland and and everything even to this day really quite a lot is, is in Dublin in the capital city not only in Ireland but in other countries as well that's why he said so many local national and international events Thomas did the build up for something like that I mean you're quiet even driving around there today now everything is very quiet and then suddenly this builds up you have all these horses coming in you have all these people coming in suddenly you're at 100 miles an hour sort of thing it's like peaks and valleys but in the valleys you're preparing for the peaks and uh, there's a constant maintenance and improving and planning the next event and the event doesn't start the day of the event it starts like the day after the last event how many events in in, in a year would you have? it varies from time to time but um, generally speaking on average maybe one a month but it can vary how do you manage the staffing of that? I mean, do you, do you have uh, sufficiently permanent staff or do you have to hire in people for, for the different events as they come? No, we'd have a core, a core staff which would be small in number and we, it's, it's ramped up then for occasions. Yeah, we're very fortunate that we've been, to this point in time anyway, been able to do so. Mm-hmm. We take care of a lot of the food catering and things ourselves as well, which is an added demand, but we've been, we've been fortunate. And and combining that with, with now the major centre for Ukrainians who've, who've come in to live there was an extraordinary adaptation of the whole place. It was, and I suppose in one sense it shows how versatile the arena is from having cow shows and horse shows to providing shelter for people who were desperately in need of it. When that happened there in April of last year, everything presents its own challenge, but we've been, we've been fortunate enough that we've been able to, to meet, meet those challenges. How many Ukrainians are living there now? Um, we've got 410 bed spaces there. So that's a small village. It is. It is a small village, yeah. A lot of them have made our small village, our town, their town, and people have moved out and they've settled in the community and there's a lot of them uh, working now in Munster Joinery and Alps Electric and Mill Street and all the other businesses in the, around the area too, yeah. So they're what have the biggest challenges been? For the Ukrainian people themselves, I suppose really the, the first thing is you'd have to say is language because they wouldn't be as, um, as English-speaking as, say, for example, even Polish people who kind of look towards Europe more traditionally. Language would be their biggest issue because we've had highly qualified people dentists, doctors, solicitors but don't speak English which is a big big drawback for them. Is learning English a major focus in, in the whole It is, there are structured English classes and as well as that then uh, there are volunteers who come in and, and teach English on a daily basis and you can see the um, the improvement on, on, on the, the residents what's, what's the biggest challenge facing you now, what, what's the next big step forward? The next big step forward, well here we are now kind of coming to the close of uh, 23 and in 2024, we will have our usual equestrian events. Our visitors will probably be in, in the Green Glens, albeit temporary, but they will be there for a, a portion, if not a lot of uh, next year. I think it's really just to, to keep everything afloat and to keep it the wheels oiled and to in, constantly improve 
what, what we're, we're currently doing. Mm-hmm. Do you see a natural further development of what you are doing in the whole equestrian area? In the equestrian area, like you mentioned earlier there about the addition of the cross-country course, that was a big addition in its time and it allowed us to, to cater for a whole new discipline and a whole new group of people and we've been developing that along with the show jumping there are two separate disciplines all through show jumping would we we would have had that for many many years so i think probably uh, the further advancement maybe on the eventing side of the business possibly a european senior or, or even a world championship which is which is possible and we'd be well in the running for it um, in in the world of eventing when might that be it could be before the decade is out. So do you envisage then using more of the 400 acres at, at Drishan to Well, you would from the point of view of parking and everything else, but the um, course itself would be within the, the confines of what we currently... Because that, that's a year-round process in terms of keeping it tended. You might have seen um, it was it's all cut and lawned and, and everything else. In the whole world of equestrian, you know, footing is very, very important. So it's not like you can, you know poach it with cattle today and have eventing on it tomorrow it has to be kept and minded and tended it's it's a very very kind of a delicate operation to have it right on the day i presume it does financially and economically justify itself keeping it like that for how many events in the year might you have in cross country well on the cross country we just have the one and that's in um, next year now in 24 it is the last weekend of may running into the first of june which is actually the june bank holiday weekend and that makes sense from a business point of view to run one event in the year? Uh, it does because you're building up for the one occasion and there's a lot of a lot of expense and overhead that you wouldn't want to be repeating two or three times, particularly at the level that we're, we're, we're operating at. The whole Duggan story is amazing, isn't it, from your, your, your father beginning? He served his time in the hardware trade in Athlegan, County Roscommon, at 15 years of age. And then he came back and reopened the family business then in Mill Street. Oh, it had been closed? Practically, yeah. Why did it succeed when it, when it had, as you say, almost failed? Well, his father wasn't well in terms of his health and he died very young. He died at 45 years of age, but he hadn't been well all his life. Um, I suppose grit and determination to answer your question. Presumably, Dushan won't continue long term to be a centre for displaced people from troubled areas around the world. What's the long-term plan? The important thing where Drashan Castle is concerned is that it's kept, it's maintained, the heating is on. All too often when you drive around Ireland you see lovely, beautiful old buildings and they're falling down or they have no roof anymore because people cannot afford to keep them. There was talk, wasn't there, that it was going to be developed as a hotel? It certainly screams that as, as you look at it with the natural beauty of it and everything else. It would be a very, very choice place, there's no doubt. The the castle itself is amazing. I mean, looking around it today, it's a wonderful structure. It is such good condition. It is in great shape, yeah. And the the main tower, which dates back to 1436, there's a lot, a lot of history in the place. It's tremendous. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. For rambling, for roving, for Sean Radley's Mill Street. Now with singer, songwriter, historian, and farmer Jerry Doody at the Boeing Crossing on the River Blackwater. River crossings are places where things happen, where people meet, where there is history. Jerry, if the stones here could talk, 
What event in the history of this place would they tell us about? They tell us about the O'Sullivan Bear Walk from Castellon Bear to, to the Oroos in Breffney. It came along here? Crossed at this point, are pretty close to it back in the time and it has been reciprocated by many since. Wonderful development. Particularly in recent years and the O'Sullivan Trust got the bridge built across the river here. Have you a verse about this place? There are a number of songs written in the area. My grandfather wrote a poem about the Blackwater. Sweet it is when Clara Hill is clad in sunset glow and happy lovers shyly meet in many a vale below. They breathe the balmy Irish air and roam the meadows true where Finnow's witching waters joined far-famed Avondoo. Some sleep behind that grand old stream in the graveyard on the hill. They closed their eyes in dreamless death while life seemed pleasant still. Light lay the sod upon their clay. May heaven's sweetest dew forever bless each comrade's grave beside sweet Avondoo. In contrast with the bloody events of other days, now here on the bank of the Blackwater, a gravelled area with a tree and two seats, one of them with a plaque that says, Sit for a while and remember her smile, gone but not forgotten, Eileen O'Reardon. Eileen had such a generous heart. Jerry... The Osalon Bear is, is reputed to have crossed here at the Boeing Crossing. The stepping stones have been maintained over the years, and in the summertime they're very evident, and you can actually cross with your shoes. But further down the river, Cardinal Renusini, back in the, the 1640s around the Confederation of Kilkenny, was a papal legate here at the time, and he crossed the river as well as Osalon Bear, but maybe about a quarter of a mile further down. And legend has it that the farmers of the locality went into the river with horses and carts to create a, a bridge that he could cross the river on his way to the Confederation of Kilkenny. The Boeing was the Boeing Castle as opposed to the Boeing in the river. And it was one of the three O'Keefe castles. They had a castle at Duaragal and they had a castle here in Drumsacan and the third one is in Drumoch. Not visible from the road anymore because it's closed in with trees mm. but it's quite close to the Protestant church there in Drumtariff. Was there a story about the O'Keefe bringing their dogs into the church? There was. It's debatable. I mean, Cullen is not traditionally would be the Gaelge for Holly but in this case it's reputed that the Quillen would be the dogs or pups Quillen Equeeve and the story had it that the O'Keefe clan used bring their dogs with them to mass on a Sunday and the priest whether the priest had changed but the priest got annoyed about it anyway and he demanded that they remove the dogs from the church and the people were not happy about it and seemingly they turned on the priest and the priest had to flee for his life and he went north and seemingly when he reached the river I assume it was the river Arreglin there was no way of getting away but all of a sudden a white ship appeared on the river and he jumped aboard and escaped and ever since that crossing is known as Aw-Nalingabona there's quite a lot of history in the locality and maybe some of it is consigned to legend at this stage but it's only right and proper that the stories that we heard as children going up and at this stage we are probably moving into the seniors of the parish but that they should be maintained and held for the generations to come The path here beside this Tranquility Park goes down to the river and there are two lines of stones and it joins onto the river. Yeah, the well, uh, traditionally traditionally, this has been, uh, and it was earmarked for a bridge many years ago apart from the, the footbridge that we see now that was created by the O'Sullivan Trust. The river floods out here, as you can see on the far side, the, the land is that bit lower than on this side, and all those fields across the way get flooded in a severe flood.
we had one of the worst floods we saw in a century back in 1980. It actually covered the railway track here behind us. It was that severe at the time. We had our traditional farmhouse and no farm by my sister is just across the way from Drishan and my grandfather built that house back in the early 1900s and the flood of 1910 went into the old house and he built the new house and he lifted the floor of it up two feet and he said it will never again come in. The 1980 flood not alone did it come in but it went a foot deep inside in the house there and destroyed the hay we had lined up for the winter. To hear about it you'd say it was legendary but to actually have lived through it and to have seen it it was frightening. But to give you an idea of the of the difference the new bridge made there's three eyes to the new bridge but my father traditionally used to always say that eight hours rain would put the flood out on the road near Calebridge and it was a massive hazard because it just stopped the flow of traffic obviously and that the flood would be eight hours rising and eight hours going down so it was a 24 hour cycle. When the new bridge was, was in place they took the old bridge and as it turned out there was a flood shortly afterwards we were anxious about the cattle because our place was li- uh, on the floodplain and luckily a neighbour had agreed to take them but in the meantime it stopped raining and when I got down after having the agreement of my Claus Sullivan here behind my back to take the cattle we were down, the f- it stopped raining and the flood was already going down which meant the new bridge was functional and working so the likelihood that we will see a flood of the 1980 variety again or that even the generations coming after us will see it, it's unlikely. Now at the end of the decade of centenaries in which the events of the War for Independence and the Civil War, remember, Jerry, was there a centenary of an event in Mill Street or Duhallow that stands out for you? Uh, Duhallow people held their own during the War of Independence. A lot of the ambushes that took place in Arkark happened in the greater Duhallow area. One of the most notable would have been Radcool, Clonbannon, which is only just a few miles north of here. There was one just way west of Belly Desmond. But all those in their turn have been commemorated in recent times. Unfortunately, COVID wrecked what should have been a fantastic celebration because COVID was at its height when most of the centenaries of them came up. Northcourt people under Sean Moylan and, and Conmini held their own well during the War of Independence. So this area would have been very, very strong in terms of the, 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 the fight for independence and indeed in the subsequent unfortunate civil war there was division among families at that stage as there was all over the country and I'm sure back in Kerry as well and indeed all over Munster In this tranquility garden along the banks of the Blackwater the sallies and alder trees now in autumn colour memories of tragic events in contrast the inspiring life of Eileen O'Riordan as we've heard Sean, what's in your mind? First of all in the distance there we could hear the hooting of the train because we're very close here to the 1853 Mill Street Railway Station and we've been so blessed that we are here near one of the most beautiful rivers in Ireland, the River Blackwater we have access to so many different parts of Ireland through our wonderful railway here we have a population here I think you you really have experienced the Mill Street experience today, uh, Frank and Siobhan. Thank you. And I think that we have so much to be so grateful for here in Mill Street. And, uh, and the fact that you're close to Kerry, like, you know. <laughs> and the fact that we're close to Kerry, I, I agree. We're the, Joy, dice, uh, we're the dice. We are the dice of Kerry, yes. <laughs> there is a very strong 
Kerry influence in Mill Street, definitely. Many of our presentation sisters from whom we received our primary education were from County Kerry. And bishops and everything. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, the, the bishop of... We did, we did, su- we did supply yeah, the bishop, bishop from... Kerry. Yeah, yeah, 1985 indeed. to 1904. Yeah, DM was also the one. Yeah. A song, Jerry. The, the song that's traditionally sung in this area, of yeah. course, is Bold Teddy Quill. And now to, to sing us out to a break on the 10 o'clock news... Singer, songwriter, and historian Jerry Doody sings the national anthem of this area. <laughs> Yay, maids of Duhallo, who are anxious for sporting, a word of advice I will give unto ye. Proceed to Bantier to the athletic sporting, and hand in your name to the club committee. And do not proceed with one press of your program till a carriage you'll see coming over the hill. Flying through the valleys and glens of Kilcorny with the Mosgrave sportsman, the bold Teddy Quill. For rambling, for roving, for football and sporting, for drinking black porter as fast as you'd fill. In all your days roving, you'll find none so jovial as the Mosgrave sportsman, the bold Teddy Quill. At the Cork exhibition there was a fair lady whose fortune exceeded a million or more. But a bad constitution had ruined her completely and medical treatment had failed her and o'er. Yet a mamma says she, should I know what'll cure me, and is the disease that is certain to kill. Give over your doctors your medical treatment, I'd rather one squeeze out of bolted equal. For rambling, for roving, for football or sporting, for drinking black porter as fast as you'd fill. In all your days roving, you'll find none so jovial as the Mosgery sportsman, the bolted equal. At the great hurling match between Cork and Tipperary, twas played in the park by the banks of the Lee. Our own darling sportsmen, afraid of being beaten, they sent for Ball Teddy to Ballinagree. Now he hurled the ball right and left in their faces, showing those Tipperary boys training and skill. If they touched on his line, sure he swore he would brain them, and the papers were filled with the praise of Ted Quill for rambling for roving for football or sporting for drinking black porter as fast as you'd fill in all your days roving you'll find none so jovial as the Mosgrave sportsman the bold Teddy Quill <laughs> The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry brought to you by Virgin Media Ireland's best broadband visit virginmedia.ie it's playtime for rambling, for roving, for footballers. Welcome back to Mill Street, where I'm guided by the voice and face of Mill Street. Sean Radley, recorded on October the 16th. Your Mill Street story, right? Frank Lewis Gallon, Mangerton Road, Buckris, Killarney. Email franklewismangerton at gmail.com. Or you can text 083. 083- 300 or 4066 Now at Trishan Castle, a mile to the northeast of Mill Street, near where the Finnau River joins the Black Water. Here there's a tower house 
and a small circular town. We're at the front door, in fact, but nobody's inviting us in. <laughs> and it's a beautiful, beautiful morning here. Built between 1436 and 1450, commenced by Dearwith Moore, the second son of Tig, the third Lord of Muskery, who was a direct descendant, evidently, of Dearmid, the King of Cork. We're joined by Lance Stewart at Trishan for a number of years, Toastmaster Award winner, a Wexford man, Liam Flynn. Living beside a 600-year-old building, Liam, is there something about the history of this place that stands out for you? It is like God made this and put me standing in it as a reward for something in a previous life. From my kitchen... I'm looking out firstly here at this tower house and Toshan and also just to the right of the view is the, one of the oldest Christian settlements in Ireland, Toshan, where Toshan Old Graveyard is and to the left is a giant rat which signified that this area was settled very early when people came to Ireland. And to the left of that is one of the very few existing Norman earthen forts. It's a square fort. This was Grangeland. In other words, it was an outfarm to the walls in Liscarl, where the Normans set up their base in North Cork. And Dushan was very good land and was used for growing grain because the weather that time in the early part of the previous millennium was much more benign than it is now. They came here for the summer and grew their grain and then when the Manfor and Derefor came they moved back into Liscarl again for the winter. The Wallaces turned Protestant, converted to the Church of England and discovered the property under the Property Act and so purchased what remained of Drishan for £450 when it was valued at 8000 in 1798. After the Cromwellian Wars, the land grants that were given out and one of the companies that supported Cromwell in his war was the Hollow Swordblade Company of London and they were granted extensive lands in Cock, Northwest, Indo Hollow and all the area up in Ballydesmond, all that area up there, that was all hollow sword blade company land. But it wasn't owned by an individual. It was owned by a company. And it was sold by a company. So they didn't go for the last penny. They actually wanted to get rid of it because, believe it or not, the Ballydesmond area, that was the only land that was ever given back by yeah. planters to the Crown because they couldn't do anything with it and they couldn't the people up there were so independent they couldn't settle it yeah. and that's why you ended up in the 1800s with the model village that is Ballydesmond now King Williamstown mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is actually how it developed yeah. you had a model farm you had a concrete road put through it it was opened up the hotel the whole lot but it was because it had been handed back to the crown it's the only case in Ireland your time as land steward here. I came in here as a young man at 25 years old into a very old established setup. Private girls' school, history going back a thousand years. Yes. Stranger to Cork, never knew where Mill Street was until I saw a van belong to Noel C. Duggan in Limerick one day after I had got the job here. You know, it was difficult to come in as, as a stranger. But the first morning I came down here, anyhow, the Reverend Mother and a sister called Mary Magdalene McGillicuddy. She was the farm manager here for 40 years. A wonderful woman. She, she, she put Mother Teresa to shame. She was a kind, wonderful person. I couldn't praise her enough. And she was great to work with. She gave me every 
opening every opportunity. She never imposed herself on me when I worked here. I had worked in different places around the country for the Department of Agriculture and when I went up to the yard, the, the men were lined up. Now all these men were had been handed their redundancy notices. Bar one because the new man was coming in. The place was run desperately unofficiously and they had employed a farm management company in Cork, Martin and Ray to come in and revamp the whole thing. The, the place was in its death throes at that stage anyhow as what it was set up to be a novitiate for foreign missions and whatever. But I went up to the yard and these, these men, like, they were all very respectable. And I became great friends with every one of them. They didn't see me as the guy who came in and dumped them. The process went through it. Everyone was treated very fairly. And I was the new kid on the block. But that morning, I was standing in the yard and I had these line of men. Most of them were at least double my age standing in front of me. And I was being introduced to Jack and Tom and Brendan and Sean and Danny. And how do you break the ice? What do you do? This guy's got a job and we're all been let go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How do you break the ice? And I can still see the Reverend Mother's face. I went over and I picked up what we'd call in this area a dung fork. The implement for throwing out right. dung. Yeah. A four-pronged pike, it is otherwise known as around here. And I picked it up and brought it over and I said to the men... What do ye call that? And <laughs> the Reverend Mother almost went apoplectic. This is the land steward, and you don't know what a dung fark is. <laughs> <laughs> that was the reaction. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I'll tell you, I just want to clear up a bit of language. Where I was born and raised in Wexford, it is known as a sprung. And the last place I worked before I came here up in the Midlands, it is known as a grape. And you call it a dung fark. Well, now we're talking the same language, at least. <laughs> and, you know, it just broke the ice. Most Mill Street people, and many from outside the area, associate Dushan with nuns. The significance of what happened here has been eroded because of the fall of the significance of the church yes. in, in Ireland. I'm not saying it was a good thing or a bad thing, but, you know, the memory has been diminished because... A lot of young women came in here with a vocation to go abroad to teach and to nurse and to work yes. you know, with the underprivileged. And the main target area from here was Malaysia and Japan. And consequently it has been come other parts of the world. But the women that went there, they went out that gate at 19 years. Mm-hmm. Never to see Ireland again. I know. Yeah. It was yeah. a tremendous yeah. dedication. Tremendous Absolutely. dedication. Yeah. And I had the, the absolute privilege one day of meeting a nun here. Originally she was from Ferns, my own county down in Wexford. And she had been taken a prisoner in Singapore Christmas Day 1941. And a whole group of all foreign women that were put into a camp up on the Malay Peninsula. There was no men, only the Japanese guards, and they had to grow their own food. They weren't allowed to speak their own language. They all had to learn Japanese. And in September 1945, the guards disappeared. Now, this was three or four weeks after Hiroshima because the word hadn't come through to the soldiers at that stage. But one day they woke up, there was no guards. 
and what do we do? Now, there was about 4,000 women and children in this camp. And they said, we'll sit and wait. We have food, we have water, we have shelter. And they didn't know where they were. And they sat there, and about a month later, they heard a vehicle approach. And they heard an English voice at the gate. And this this, uh, lady, she went out and she said, who are you and why are you here? And I said, we're the British Army and we've come to rescue you. This is verbatim as she related to me. And she said, I'm, I forget her, her nun's uh, name, mm-hmm. but I, I'm, I'm from Ferns in County Wexford. Oh, I know it well, he said. Yes. She said, could you get word to my family that I'm alive? And he radioed Singapore. Singapore radioed Delhi. Delhi radioed Cairo. Cairo radioed London. London radioed Dublin. And the telephone bulges in Ferns to say that she was alive and but the point is they had put up a headstone to her in ferns she said now Liam when I pass away I'll have two headstones (laughs) an amazing story but these women like there was a nun from here she was the emperor of Japan's nanny during the second world war Al-Qaeda after he came after Haruhito she was because she was Irish she was neutral and she was respected in Japan but not in the other occupied countries the Irish were classified like the British amazing women Dushan was bought by the Duggan family in the early 1990s Liam while the lands and estate continued to be farmed the estate had become a top international horse cross country course it's absolutely Yes. Phenomenal. Yes. The, the work and the money that Duggins have ploughed in here, uh, over 15 million into Dushan. It's a four-star, world-class cross-country course. And the beauty of it is it's next door to a five-star, world-class equestrian yeah. event centre. Yes. The whole lot together, it can't be found anywhere else in Europe to have both side by side. Liam, thanks for talking to me. And we're going to go on with Sean to visit sporting, For drinking black porter as fast as... The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. The Saturday Supplement with Frank Lewis on Radio Kerry. For rambling, for roving, for football. Guided by Sean Radley for many years, the voice and face of Bridget. We're now at community school where we're joined by school principals since 2018, Paul O'Shiachan, and by a group of musicians, but more about them later. Paul, is, is there a story, one experience that you might use to explain Mill Street Community School? From the very first moment you set foot, in our school, whether it's as a visitor, a staff member, or a student, no matter what your business in the school is, there's an overriding sense of welcome here. There's a sense of inclusion for everybody, regardless of where they come from in the world. I was noticing on the huge map that you have in the corridor outside, you have students from all over the place. At last come would have been 16 different nationalities in the school. Many of them here, there are, I suppose, a variety of different timelines for people coming here, a variety of different reasons for coming here. Some people will be second generation now at this stage, um, the length of time they've been in the area, and others them will be more newly arrived. I think it's reflective really of community at large, and it does give our students here a sense of what reality is like. I, I often use the example talking to them about, about welcoming people that when I was in primary school, I remember there was a, a lad joined my class in fourth class, 
He was from Limerick and it was it was a huge event for us, some fellow from Limerick coming into a school in Cork. But they don't bat an eyelid here now. You could be from anywhere. The school opened in 1974. How are you going to mark the 50th anniversary in 2024? The most immediate event will be on the 1st of December. We have um, Marty Morrissey coming down to us. We're going to have a, a party with Marty in, in our gym, marking the 50 years. So Niamh Kavna is also going to make a guest appearance that night. Since 1993, winning the Eurovision, um, we're lining up past students from through the decades. Is there a memory of life in Mill Street Community School that has you waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat? If I was to pick one, it would be COVID when we, were, when we faced into the unknown. I remember there was one particular incident where Francis and myself, we were here on our own, pacing the corridors to try and judge where we'd be sending people when they came out of classes when we did come back to school what kind of system we'd, we'd have to put in place we walked every inch of every corridor in the school and we hadn't a clue like, like everybody else that was, that was a, an unbelievable time really we were well prepared at that stage for I suppose going online that's, that's benefited us hugely one of the big things to come out of that was the personal interaction and, you know, you've all this talk about AI and everything else. You'll never replace the human touch. And we can see our students miss that. We missed it. We missed being with each other. And even when we came back, being in, in the pods rather than being all together in one room, that was very difficult. But it's, it's the people that make a school. Has all of that experience added a, a certain dimension to the school? The technology side of things, it definitely did move it to another level for us. And, and we've continued that. In um, what way? Microsoft Teams, for example, we'd be a Microsoft school and whereas before you might have somebody going out to a match or someone who's sick and may or may not get the homework, that's gone now, there's no excuse for that because <laughs> it's there online and you have to get it. It has added, you know, in terms of, of staff collaboration, there's a whole new dimension here because you're sharing folders, you're sharing documents, it's the same as students doing collaborative projects. Going back to Ken Brennan's time and Pat Piggott, I'm the third principal here in yes. 50 years and that tells its own story. Indeed. I've been reading documentation going back to the foundation of the school and before it that anything that was happening in Mill Street at that time and all through the ages was funneled through here. There were staff here got involved on local committees in Mill Street. We still have staff here involved uptown doing a variety of different things. We have students now formerly this year involved in Tidy Tones projects. You must also have many memories that have you waking up with a smile on your face. Every day of the week I come in here with a smile on my face. If you're to ask me to pick, pin down one particular thing, I think student interaction. We've had so many great occasions here with students. We've had fashion shows. We're going to have a drama this year, which is huge in the area and huge for the school. It's something I haven't seen in my six years here because of COVID. We've led out nationally on student voice initiatives. Our students have been an, an exemplar for the other the 96 community and comprehensive schools in Ireland as to how you can have a direct impact on your learning, your education inside in the school. Our students are constantly talking to us, we're constantly talking to them. Subject choice, for example, you know, some schools might, might, might be asking you to pick from block A, B, C. We listen to our people here and we've, we've done away with that, so they, it's, you have a direct choice now, you have a choice of everything, and based on that, the blocks are made. We've also, in terms of committee work, you know, we've, we've transitioned years now, we're, they're actually going into classes teaching some first years various parts of, of a CSP programme, the Global Citizen 
citizenship education will be very strong in the school. So you have our students now running events for other students. We did a uh, primary school blitz a couple of weeks ago, run entirely by our students. Sean? The students, in the way they've involved themselves so much in our community. For example, you find that when we're talking about, let's say, developments in the museum, the ideas that they offer about how we can develop it further. For example, take the audio recordings that we've done over the years. We have begun to realise how important those are through the projects that have been done at post-primary schools here because they realise that those recordings are now tremendous sources of information here in the community school they have embraced technology and they share this for example in our local website we have a direct link to the school website which straight away bonds people together and gives them updates on a constant basis about what's happening in school here what has been inspiring I think how international students have blended in so well. Paul, a special ambition, a dream that might mark the school's 50th year in 2024. Without question, it's the development of our new extension. If I could have that tomorrow morning. What would that comprise? It'll be about 15,000 square foot out at the front of the school, two storeys. The whole bottom floor, that will be dedicated additional educational needs. There'll be a new main entrance to the school that will bring you straight into to the sensory garden, which will be in the in the new lobby. What stage is that at? It's at stage one currently, planning, and we're, like everything else, we're dependent on engineers and consultants who are very, very busy, and look, that's delayed things slightly, but... So have your time scale on it? I would hope within two to three years. Paul, thanks for talking to us, and to finish up, we have four of your students going to play some music. Evan O'Sullivan on Tin Whistle, Maeve Casey on Concertina, Luke Hickey on Tin Whistle, and Eva Casey on Tin Whistle. And they're going to play The Cat That Ate the Candle. <laughs> Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. The Saturday Supplement with Frank Lewis on Radio Kerry. 
for rambling, for roving, for football, in our visit to Mill Street and in Vans, your Mill Street, our, our seasonal story from your own place, text 083 300 3300, our phone 066 7123 How do I describe where we are now? Mill Street's Pandora's Box, the ultimate curiosity shop, a place to visit for an hour a place to come back to again and again, a place of endless Mill Street voices where new tales are being constantly added. Mill Street Museum at Carnegie Hall opens on Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays from 9.30 to 2.30 and on Thursday from 9.30 to 2. With me, the man whose inspiration it was, whose dedication it has been since it opened on the 17th of March, 1980. In our whistle-stop tour... The gramophone player. The gramophone here was presented to us by the late Morris and Eva Walsh. It is still working here uh, behind us. The gramophone itself, I was able to bring over on a Slattery's coach just after 1980 from Victoria Coach Station in London. It arrived here, but we couldn't play it for one year because Morris had yet to find the handle that would activate it. So it's, it's, it's a hand wound, so there's no electricity or anything like that? No involved. electricity. And, uh, and in perfect working order, as we heard. <laughs> and as you can see, uh, the volume control is that you open the front and you shut the front of the actual loudspeaker and you shut the top. That brings down the volume. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so stereo in its own way. Stereo, Dating exactly. back to the early Christian period, 1,500 years ago, the straight and curved lines carved around the corner of a stone plinth. You have an example here. The Liskahan Olmstone, found in 1981 at the Corkery Farm here, when work was going on in the farm, a suterrain was found, and in the suterrain were discovered two Olmstones. They were later investigated by the Archaeological Department of uh, University College Cork, and they presented both Olmstones here to Mill Street. Uh, what, what's carved on it? What does it say? The one here in the museum is Coleman Maki Tumgon in Ohm writing. What was the key to starting the museum here in 1980? It was often felt that there were so many different wonderful documents and historic items that if we could find an actual home that we could display these, a permanent home. And way back, about 1979 we formed Mill Street Museum Society and our main goal was to try to establish a museum. And on St. Patrick's Day, 1980, the Cork County Librarian, Podigo Madine, officially opened the museum here and said, record today, it's history tomorrow. And that's what we've been attempting to and do. for 43 years, you, you've been the mainstay of the museum. One of a team, one of a team. And uh, yes, uh, over the years, we have been blessed to have many different people assisting us and presenting the most amazing items. Indeed. One of the unique items that you showed us here is in the bottom of his, just, just behind me here, one of six offcuts from the, the Dublin spire, the spike. We are so honoured to have this because my uncle, the late Tom Radley, was a blacksmith here in Mill Street and two of his sons, John and Tommy, established Radley Engineering in Dungarvan and in 2003 they had the great honour of fabricating the Spire of Dublin 
six offcuts were made of the steel used in the spire and we're honoured to have one of those here in the museum. And there was a Killarney connection there as well. John himself got and always has highly praised the, the wonderful training he received at Liebers in Killarney. How is Mill Street Museum run and funded? Mainly through the generosity of our local population and the diaspora. Many people that have direct roots with Mill Street. About once every three years we appeal for help because of insurance, lighting, heating and so on, development of the museum itself. We find we get an absolutely superb response. But all your staffing is, is voluntary? Most of our staff is voluntary, but there is a government scheme that allows us have an assistant curator from Tuesday to Friday. Inevitably, memorabilia relating to Eurovision 1993 in Mill Street. Can you imagine, 30 years ago, Niamh Kavanagh won, the, this was the icing on the cake when Niamh won here. And we have lots of memorabilia, including the famous cushion. And many of those famous lottery cushions were thrown into the air when Niamh won, but we were able to retain one. You grabbed one. one. <laughs> yes, we, we've won here. <laughs> There's many different documents, including the original programme. We have the original programme here and we have quite a a number of the notes that would have been used for camera angles and so on. Is there a facility here? Could could somebody come in and watch the programme? It's on YouTube. What we have here are the documents and the uh, memorabilia associated with it. And as you can see, the little stamps there that I was just showing you there show the emblem and you'll notice that it says Eurovision Song Contest, Mill Street, 1993. Mm-hmm. It was going to be uh, Bonsoir, Irlande, instead of Bonsoir, Mill Street. <laughs> so it was uh, uh, the late Ken Brennan in particular, I remember at a meeting, emphasised, if at all possible, it should be very important. I mean, it's the smallest community the Eurovision was ever held in, as far as I know. Is that right? Normally, it would be based in a Big city city's setting. This is the fascination for so many different people from all over Europe that come on visits here to see where is this location that could have hosted such a a different Eurovision. And of course, at the time, Joe Barry, who was the Director General of RTE, originally from Cork. Of course. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Joe and his many different committee members decided that having it in a rural setting would be really a golden, golden gem. And this is what it turned out to be. And, uh, of course, one of the other items we have here is there was a special puppet called Miller. And uh, this is one of the... Uh, so many different memorabilia. Future plans and ambitions for the museum here? Over the years, we have been digitalising many of our audio records, many of the documents. We would have, I suppose, it really almost goes into millions now when it comes to pictorial archive because we've been taking photographs on a fairly constant basis. For 53 years, as we heard a minute ago. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the main purposes as such. And I think also the many different items, we never know what's going to emerge. For example, a person giving us a little piece of the transatlantic cable. Uh, One of the things that, that you showed us just a second ago is this most unusual belt 
that you feel was de Valera's belt that he handed over when he surrendered following the 1916 Rising? We were blessed to receive this very precious item from Eileen Cronin from Knocknagree. For decades, Eileen had it in her home up near the Sacred Heart picture. A person had suggested that Eamon de Valera had not surrendered in the most noble manner, but this officer refuted this and said, no, this is not the case. This man was entirely noble in every way, and he came along then and... And I was, uh, he was the officer. He was the officer. Yeah. And for years, he had the belt. Mm. He, in turn then, saw... When he had this letter in, in the paper, Eileen Cronin saw this letter, praised the officer. The officer saw that letter... And a wonderful bond between the two families uh, developed and to such an extent that the officer's family came for a day at the races in Killarney and Eileen's family with him. If you have a question on Mill Street and its environs, and that includes access to the many thousands or millions, as Sean has said himself, of Sean Radley photographs over the past 50 years, open Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays from 9.30 to 2.30 and Thursdays from 9.30 to 2.00. Rambling for Sean, roving, for football and sporting, for drinking black porter as fast as... The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. The Saturday Supplement with Frank Lewis on Radio Kerry. For rambling, for roving, for football. In our visit to Mill Street and Environs, we are now about a mile west of Mill Street, about 400 metres down a lane off the Mill Street Killarney Road at the beautifully landscaped Turbred Holywell. And we're joined by the owner of the well, James O'Sullivan. James, you look after the well. I look after it, but it's done as part of a team. There are local people who give freely of their time. Without them, it wouldn't be what it is today. The people who put all this together. My father had a committee going back in the 70s. And in a minute, Frank, you can have a look below inside in the altar. You will see old photographs going back to the 50s when there was probably only one camera in the entire parish owned possibly by the local chemist. Do you feel a great dedication to the whole thing? It's in my blood. It's in my DNA at this stage. Does it take much time? No. All the hard work was done by better men than myself. Mm -hmm. It's easy to keep a house clean if somebody else is already after building it and putting it there for you for your disposal. Then definitely, I see it as a duty to do it, as well as being a great love to do it. There are walking sticks left here. Those walking sticks have been left there down through the decades. I have other ones above at home inside in glass cases that could come down, but I had to remove it because of the glass content and so on like that for uh, health and safety reasons, shall we say. But there are a few below there, yes, definitely. And people were have credited Turbot Holy Well with cures. So they I, came in on walking sticks and walked away, left... Possibly something very akin to what you've just described there, Frank. But people have definitely left walking sticks here and have credited Tubbert Holy Well with cures or a betterment in their, in, the, in, the, in their situations. It's a beautifully secluded site, though, and this fine 
natural pond here, beautifully clean, no enrichment or anything like that. And it's very well sheltered and there are lots of seats. So it's a nice place to come and spend a quiet time. Anybody who's ever come here will always come back again because there's something very welcoming about it. The water you see flowing there is flowing at the rate of about three million litres per day. That's about 700,000 gallons a day flowing so I, I, from here. Nothing, but the number of springs, there's, I can count one, two, three, four. There are a whole lot of springs. Many there. You're supplying water to the whole of Mill Street. That's here. correct, Frank. Down at there, where that bridge that we'll go down to later on, is a grill. If you look closely enough, you'll see the water going through that grill, not progressing beyond that grill, but going through the grill. It is drawn from there through a stainless steel portal over there, mm -hmm. and from there through a series of filters pumped through the pump house over there, the other near the car park, at the rate of about 40,000 gallons an hour. And when there's a peak on, it's more than that. It is pumped from here and uh, treated up there in, in, uh, in the building and pumped up to the reservoir in the mountain, where it is then gravity flow to the town of Mill Street and the environs. And there's never any shortage. Even today, on the 16th of October, the day we recorded the programme, there are people walking through here. Yes, right. Do many people come? You're rarely on your own down here. I suppose the busiest time of the entire week would be Sunday afternoons, when people come... There could be 10 or 12 cars here at any one time with a couple of people in each car. That would be common. We're here in the, the middle of the afternoon, yes. the early afternoon, uh, on a Monday. Yes. So, and there, there were people here today. Not unusual at all, Frank. Is it not? Not unusual. Bear in mind that in the month of May, it's the month of Mary. And that's the month when people come here in their droves. And outside that gate there, you will see what people are expected to do when they're here during the month of May. Three rounds say the rosary, there will be hardly room to budge on this footpath here on a beautiful Sunday afternoon in May. There is nowhere like it. So three rounds. Three uh, rounds. Uh, the five mysteries Correct. of the rosary. Yes. And you're expected to come back a number of times. Yes, three times during that month. Or you can do it all in one visit if you want and go to Mass. Uh, yes, yeah. there is a big Mass, a wonderful Mass here held on the last Friday in May, usually around the 8 o'clock mark. People come in their droves to that, parking on both sides of the road from here into town. Yeah. Clearly, I mean, the place is well looked after all of the time. I mean, today, as I said, in mid-October, it's in pristine condition. Everything is perfectly presentable, as you'd expect it maybe to be done for the May celebrations. There must be so many experiences here. I would say the visit of Bishop Eamon Casey back around 74, 75, that was certainly one. We were enthralled with his presence. He was the first of the celebrities that I would have seen down here. And down through the years, there have been other bishops coming here. How long have people been coming here for? I would say many generations. In its what, in its what you see at the moment, since the mid-70s, but before that people were coming. But up until the mid-70s, when my father developed this area here and gave up the car park, got the car park made by Cork County Council, it was a totally different place. I can see one car coming down here and just room for one car in a tiny little car park and that's it. We used to feed cattle above at the main gate all over the winter so nobody came down. And then back in around 74, 75 the council came to my father and they said they wanted to develop Tubbert Holy Well. And my father said fine but he wanted a few provisos put in there and one was that there was a car park and they said fine we'll put in a car park we just want to put in a pump house and they said we don't care where we put it. So my father said put it away over there. 
Sean Tubbert Holywell is so special to so many people locally but on an international basis also and when James mentions about the celebrities that have been here we also of course had Bishop McNamara here and there's a, a direct link with a Hollywood star here the famous Maureen O'Hara we got to meet Maureen O'Hara and to interview Maureen for six minutes down in Glengariff and one of the items that we presented to her was a portrait of Tubrid and she tucked my shoulder and said would you write my name on a stone and place it at the bottom of Tubrid Holywell I came back to James and James said absolutely no problem but James you also said that you were going to even do more I got a seat made well I I made the seat I made the seat myself for Maureen O'Hara and is there to remember her 2010. What, there must be 20 seats here. Yes, and sometimes I take them away and repair them. How often are you down here? I would say three or four times a day. Why that? Because I might be passing the entrance, going to town, and I will will always call down. If there might be something needed to be done here, maybe brush the footpath or something like that, or bring down cobwebs, there are cobwebs over there, and uh, maybe to feed the birds, or one bird in particular, there's a robin flying over there, and that's his home, and no one goes near it. You know robins always live alone anyway, so we take special care of him. At night is a special time here. You will see just a couple of lights, and the other main source of light down here is a wonderful fusion of the candles that will be burning inside the altar. They glow as if they had a life of their own. Because when people light those candles, Frank, they light them as a wish or as a prayer to above for that wish to be granted. I listen to people when they come down, Frank. And I always say to people, if you see something that needs doing, please get stuck in and help me do it. Some people are great. I met a lady this year down here. And the painting down here is arduous and so on like this. And there's a lovely girl from Lithuania who's living maybe about 40 miles away, wanted to do all this. And she did all the painting that you see on the rosary around the bed here and uh, the statues and so on. And she did all of that. And she wanted nothing for it. I couldn't let that happen, of course. But she did it all. And I'm so grateful to her. It's a true haven of peace for so many people. Many people come here just to be in the presence of this amazing setting. And you have a wildlife sanctuary close by Come and visit Tubbert Holywell at any time. Any time, morning or year. night. At the time of COVID, three years ago last March, I had to close off Tubbert Holywell. And a chain was put across the gate above so people could not come down here. And the first night of COVID, I came down on my bicycle and I turned off the lights. There was no point in having the lights running. This is true. And I turned and as I was cycling home and I just got to the turn up here, before I got onto the main road, I looked back and I said, no, no, no that light has to go back on. I cycle back down in Frank and I put on the lights because Tubbert without the lights is like a hulking wreck at sea being washed around the oceans. It had, none, it had no significance but with, I came back up and I put the light on and I could see it as a beacon of hope for people on higher ground not, to, not in, 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 in the region who could see Tubbert and say yeah, Tubbert is still alive and well. Congratulations. Thank you for the work that you do. Thanks thank, for talking to me. Thank you, Frank, and thank you, Siobhan, for coming here today. And Sean, as well. The many stories, sights and sounds of Sean Radley's Mill Street and environs. Radley and his cameras have faithfully recorded life in Mill Street over the past 53 years. The founding father of Mill Street Museum, his work 
with uh, Mill Street, with local radio and with the Mill Street community website, Mill Street and Environs have been enriched by all of his efforts. On today's programme, Sean Radley was our guide. He made the contacts and suggested the stories. Yet again, I'm in his debt. My thanks to all of those who talked to us on this special programme. Location sound was by Siobhan Lewis and post-production by Colette Foley. During these weeks, every day, visit a deciduous woodland near you. It changes hour by hour. Gather the great crop of Spanish chestnuts, roast them on an open fire, a pinch of salt, a little butter and a drink of your choice. The essence of these autumn days of remembrance. From May Frank Lewis until the last Saturday in November the 30th, under the storied Kerry banner, Sanderton Lee has involved individuals and groups telling tales from storied Killarney, legend, landscape, flora, fauna, archaeology, history, folklore and a contemporary story which will all go on show in an artistic exhibition in Killarney House in late November. Joe McGill will be back with you next Saturday. Thanks for your company. Francis Jones will be with you after the news. And now to sing us out. Singer, songwriter and historian Jerry Doody sings the Ardlin. On you rippling river I'm thinking ever I ne'er can sever my thoughts from thee From heat-led lone ray where thy cradle lay You wind your way in childlike lee By bogs and passes thy water lashes And onward dashes through vale and glen By kishkem rolling where the boys patrolling In the moonlight rolling Roaming by the Arriglen. Its course will follow to that cave so hollow where Moradney Callig betrayed O'Keefe. Here the bloodhounds found him by that gushing fountain, and the redcoats bound him a rebel chief. For his wife's falsehood, he drew her lifeblood there in the green wood by his lonely den. Saying farewell, Akara, I part in sorrow from you, drum by the Arriglen. Then on to Cullen, where yet are true men, who always dared in the fight so grand. Oh, oh. There watchword onward, and war cry forward, here you'd find no coward or broad arrow brand. Here Lottiern resting in her last sweet sleeping, I'll beg her blessing near her lonely den. For all island true men, Game and Cullen, the pride of Erin by the Arriglen. Where flies are keeping, and trout are leaping, and great pike sleeping neath its waters blue. With a gentle murmur, she joins forever her noble sister, the Avondue. What a cordial greeting, those sisters meeting, with tales repeating and told again. Of all island true men, Kishkem and Cullen, the pride of Erin by the Arriglen. Fantastic! Well, hey! Fantastic! Beautiful. Fantastic. <laughs>